Now, why are you not whispering to each other like you did last Sunday when I came out in all white? (laughs) Must be because you expect a white robe. What is the difference? Not much. But it's joyful to be with you and to bring you the Easter message again from another text. Because Easter is a season in the church. It's not just a Sunday. It's actually six weeks long in churches all over America that practice the Christian church here. So this is the second Sunday of Easter, and that's why we're singing about Alleluia, He's risen indeed. So why did you come today? Did you come because you guys had to play? (laughs) Did I come just because I have to preach today? Did you come because somebody made you feel compelled? Mama's going to be really mad. And it won't be a great week if you didn't come with your family. Did you come because you feel like by coming you're somehow making God happy? This is your spiritual act of service. You get to his house. You come to see somebody. Are you coming to score a date because you're single and she's here? Why did you come today? I know it's a simple question. But it it reveals to us that our motives are mixed, usually, right? I pray that one of the motives, the most important motive, that you'd come to this box with us again would be that you're like a beggar going back to a soup kitchen. Because you know they got something you need there and they're going to serve it because they're consistent with it. And you know that this is the spiritual soup kitchen for our souls. And I'll tell you, that's why I came. I came because I think Easter, and believe with all my heart that Easter and the message of the resurrection of Christ is that something we all need, and I intend to give it. And there's two things today that I think we get from this story of Jesus appearing to his apostles and to Thomas after that with them. And that is he gives comfort and challenge. He gives comfort and challenge. By the way, both of which are things that we need. We need, that's that soup kitchen, we need comfort to feel secure. And we need challenge in our life to feel significant. There was an author, he's still an author, but back in 25, 30 years ago when I was reading Christian counseling books named Lawrence Crabb, a best-selling author, he wrote a book called Effective Biblical Counseling. And this has stuck with me since the day that I read that book. There are two human needs, he said, from a counselor's perspective that everybody has. Security and significance. And if you don't sense in your being that you have security or significance, you will not be spiritually or mentally, emotionally healthy. And then he went on to say, The Bible and its message about Christ is the thing that gives security and significance. Well, today I've talked about comfort, security, and challenge, which gives us significance in our life, challenges us to fulfill the purpose for which we were made and saved. And I'm going to show you how Jesus did that on the very day he rose from the dead. Comfort and challenge. He came to appear to the apostles. Right? We're about to read it. And the way, this, the way this writing goes, it's written by one of the men that was there. His name was John, the Apostle John. 
the way this writing goes is that John gives you two parts to the story, and then he gives you an editorial at the end. So we're going to read that, okay, together, and I'm going to, we'll have it on the slides, but it's in your folder, okay? We will read it together, and we'll pause, and I'll show you part one, part two, and the editorial, so you can see God's word, and it can speak to you to give you two things. Happiness, which is comfort and challenge in your life. Okay, you ready? Let's read part one. It's the first few verses of this. And you can read it with me. I'll try, to, I'll try to pace you. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Stop right there. John's 85 when he wrote this. He's looking back, but he's inspired He's looking back some 40, 50 years, and he says, these are the things that happened that day. On Easter Sunday, we were afraid. We were locked in a room because we thought we were the next to be crucified. The Jews would turn us over. And he said, then Jesus appeared, and he made it a point to show his scarred hands and his riven side cut open, but he's alive. He did that for a reason. you got to ask when John writes that, why? Why? Why didn't he just appear in glorious white suit, by the way, white tie, and say, we won? Why did he say, look at the hands, look at the side? Because, remember, they are real thinking people. They are completely stung by the fact that he died. They, they saw his body be buried. They, he was handled. They're having a hard time believing the women saw an angel. And he said, it's really me. It's real. Look, it's, it's not somebody else. It's not just God the Father or the Holy Spirit or some angel. It's me, Jesus, and I'm really alive. These are the guys that are going to go out and tell the world the message for all humanity that would be the salvation of people for the rest of of the planet's existence. They needed to know it was real. And they were going to end up, each one, as they were preaching, be arrested and die for it. They needed to know it was real. They needed to touch him. Later, John, the same John, wrote letters. He would write in a letter in chapter 1 of 1 John, I'm writing you considering Jesus, whom we touched and handled, called the word of eternal life. For John, as an eyewitness, he needed us to know that he really touched and saw Jesus with all his senses. He heard him, saw him, felt him, even smelled his breath when he breathed on him. But there was one guy that wasn't there. That Part one is Jesus revealed himself and said, peace be with you. Part two, Thomas wasn't there when, when he did that. And we're going to read that now, and I'll have a couple comments there. And we're getting down to this two-part message, comfort and, and challenge. Okay, let's read it. Now, Thomas, 
also known as the twin Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This little story is the one story that earned Thomas the forever on earth reputation of doubting Thomas, right? But you got to ask, John, why did you write that about Thomas seeing Jesus that way and what he asked? Because Thomas was not doubting more than the other guys. He just wasn't there. Remember when Jesus appeared to the other guys? Jesus said, touch my hands, my side. I just talked to you about that. I just highlighted that, right? John said, but Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas said, look, I know you guys said you got to do all that, but unless I get to do that, I'm not going to believe it. And so Jesus, loving Thomas, got when he got there in that room and they were all together, without even saying, hey, Thomas, they told me about it, because they didn't. Jesus is, is omniscient, right? He just says, Thomas, come here. And the reason Thomas' story is in the Bible is because Thomas is an epitome of your dark side. When you fell into sin, which was with your parents, Adam and Eve, and you were born a sinner, on your sinful side, you are God of everything in your life, and you don't want to believe anything unless you decide it passes your litmus test. And Thomas is no different than Peter, or James, or John, or Donald, or Sally, or anybody else in this room. He wants to judge on his own terms whether Jesus is to be believed or not. And it doesn't ever work well that way. Because you're too finite and too limited. But Jesus condescends. He loves people like us that have these problems with our own ego. And he loved Thomas dearly like he loves you. So he put the story in there. I appeared to Thomas. So how many more people have to demand to see Jesus before they believe in him? I've had that doubt. I'm a preacher of this message, but I've sat in a, a room by myself and said, Lord, I, I've never seen you. I talk about you like I know you from your word, but I've never seen you. Can I just see you? What did Jesus say? What was the last thing he said to Thomas in this story? Look at it again. It's on the screen. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. That was your litmus test. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, it sounds so churchy, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, that we kind of turn off our, our, our begging mind, looking for what I was saying, a beggar, that thing that we need, comfort and challenge. But it's there. 
The word blessed means happy and successful, prosperous, healthy. That's what it means in, in, in the context. Here we are reading it in church. You think, well, it's just being blessed and it's general. No, it means all of those things. And in this context, what he's saying, Thomas, is for you to be a happy, healthy proclaimer of the gospel, believer in God, a man of faith, you'll be blessed that way if you'll learn that it's found in a message that speaks to your soul, not a body that you can touch, feel, taste, smell the breath of. Blessed are those, happy are those, comforted are those, challenged are those, secure are those, significant are those who believe the message that speaks to their heart. This is the way God intended it. You like it or not, there's nothing you can do about it. Jesus was given 33 years and 40 days more, and he is not living among us in his visible state, although he's living among us, the same Lord. And he intended that from that 2,000 years ago, 33 years plus a few days life and its message and meaning, that it would be so clear and simple and powerful that the proclaiming of the real Christ, the real message, would be a living Savior, the message itself about him, that the Holy Spirit, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, would send the Christ in words into their lives. And Thomas would be one of the guys who'd have to say, I saw it all, but you don't get to see it all. That's called an eyewitness. Jesus had said to the twelve, you'll be my witnesses. That's how it's going to work. Like it or not. But why not stop trying to like it or not? Why not just, like I said last Sunday, give yourself the freedom to live in the beauty of the message because you're a beggar coming looking for comfort. He really is alive. And this is what he said it meant. Sin is forgiven, which brings peace. Okay, what's peace? This would be a, a simple definition. The knowledge that everything is okay. Calm. We're at peace. I'm not afraid you're mad at me and going to run away. I'm not afraid God's mad at me and is going to judge me. I'm not afraid my future will end poorly. It might have some end poorly moments, but it's beyond that. It's going to end well. I'm at peace. I'm at peace with my situation. I'm at peace with my salvation. I'm at peace with my God. I'm at peace in my relationship with God because I have forgiveness. I did everything possible a person could do to ruin a relationship with God through my sin. In fact, I still struggle with sin just like you do. But I'm at peace that this gospel is so finished when he died on that cross and rose again to prove he had done it that I can live at peace with being a sinner. I can live at peace when you point out my flaws. Or you don't make me more important than you do. You know, I'm speaking for all of us. I hope you know that. I live at peace with people. Not because they apologize so well. Because frankly, people are miserable apologizers. Not because they 
probably will do better now that they apologize. Because frankly, we'll do a little better, but we still struggle. Not because I'm so wonderful that I'm so powerful that I can forgive on my own. I can't. But I do forgive because Jesus is so wonderful that he's washed their sins away in mine too. And if Jesus forgives them, he gives me the power to forgive them in his name also. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. I'm at peace. I'm comfortable. I have preserving grace. It preserves my marriage with Mary. It preserves my friendship and relationship with you as one of your pastors. It preserves my relationship with myself when I want to beat it myself up all the time. Grace preserves my relationship with God because my sins are forgiven. I have peace. Peace be with you. Now, I just want to real quickly point out how they might have been personalizing what he said that day. Remember just a few days earlier, like Thursday night? They all abandoned him. They slept while he prayed. And then they came and arrested him and they all ran away. Peter, the great spokesman, was the great denier, but they were all denying him by their actions. So they've got to be thinking, as he appears to them that first Easter afternoon in those, behind those locked doors, they were worried about uh, the Jews coming to get him. They've got to be thinking, if he appears, he may be coming to get us too, because <laughs> we all were bad friends, right? I mean, maybe he's just coming into the locker room to say, i got to get new 12 new ones, you know, because Judas is dead and you guys need to be dead because you, you're pretty much ruined your relationship with me. They're real people. they got to be thinking that, right? And what does he say? Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. Says it again, right? It's twice. Peace be with you. It's all about forgiveness, guys. If you came on Thursday night before Easter Sunday, when we had the Jesus character speaking out front at the end, do you remember what he said? He said, I, is speaking for Jesus, he said, I didn't pick these guys behind me because they were great. What did he say? I picked them because I have a great love for all of them. So great that I anticipated all of their failures and paid for them all on the cross. This is true grace and peace and comfort in life. It's also purpose and challenge. Because when he said, your sins are forgiven, what was the next thing he said? Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. As the Father sent me, my life is over now. We all got one shot at this time on earth. As my Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now I'm going to ask you a very important question. Do you think he said that to them because they were apostles, but that doesn't apply to every Christian? It applies to every Christian. Once a person comes to realize that they are one with God through Jesus Christ and that he's the center of the universe, 
then they've also discovered, as they've discovered their salvation, they've discovered the meaning and purpose of their life. And that challenges us to give up all of the other primary purposes that we live for. You know, God gave us many purposes. I'm a man, so a purpose for a man is to be a leader in his family, right? purpose of a woman is to be a leading follower of her husband and to have babies that he can't have, right? Purpose, there's thousands of purposes in our life. Purpose as an employer uh, is to employ people. Purpose of an employee is to work and produce, right? A nurse is to take care of. A doctor is to heal. A policeman is to protect and enforce. We all have purposes, and those are all God-given, but they aren't the top one. The top one for a Christian is completely, uh, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere across the Christian's whole life, whether they're a police officer, pastor, person, wife, husband, man, woman, child, teen, whatever they are, sick in their bed, about to go to heaven, or they're just getting started in their career. It doesn't matter if you're on the bus, you're a traveler, you're a tourist, a homeowner, a home renter. It doesn't matter if you're buying a car or selling a car. Your primary purpose is to bring the for grace of God and the forgiveness to human beings. It can never be taken away, and you dare never give up on it. That's the challenge. Look, guys, he says, I'm not firing you. I'm telling you, this is now your life calling. I have forgiven you, I've forgiven everyone, and thousands upon thousands of people do not know it. That their whole soul's salvation depends on the cross and the grace of Christ. And you're the guys that are going to tell them. Nobody can take it away from you. I'm going to give you a long pause to think about that. I say as a pastor and shepherd... For your sake, I do not ever want to hear you say, I don't know my purpose in life. You may not know if you have a purpose at your job anymore, or you may know that you don't. The only time I almost got fired is right as she was trying to say it, I said, I've given you my one week's notice. (laughs) But I still had a purpose. Right? Make disciples. Even of the one that has to let you go. The title of this sermon is the Se- Easter Gives You the Secret to Happiness. And I told you about a counselor that said security and significance are keys for human happiness. And then I showed you where Jesus said, Blessed, blessed are you. Right? Receive the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you if you believe this gospel without seeing Jesus personally. You have purpose and meaning, and that's to share the love of Christ in everything you are saying and doing and being a disciple and be supportive of the gospel message in your own way. And when you're with people and they're trying to get the best of you, get the best of their soul and use it as the opportunity to save them, to show them what Jesus is like. Get over yourself. And all your other goals. And make it making a disciple. Work on making me a disciple of Christ. 
You have a purpose. You're alive. You're, you're ready. Um, this last week, traveling to Milwaukee and back for meetings, I finished a book that uh, I'd received from our publishing house on Catherine von Bora. You know who that is? Luther's wife. Luth, Martin Luther lived in the 1500s, namesake of uh, the non- denomination we're a part of, right? The Protestant preacher that learned in the darkness of the dark ages that Jesus Christ is Savior and he did it all, and Luther didn't have to earn it. And he started the Reformation, right? Kathy, Katie, Catherine was his wife. They lived in Wittenberg. Some of you have probably seen Wittenberg, Germany. Luther had bouts. This is the irony of the Christian life, of a great Christian leader like Luther. He had deep bouts with depression and anxiety. Did you know that? Sometimes made him so physically ill that he almost died from the illnesses and the complications that came out of his anxieties. So he was in one of these funks for a week or two. And nothing that his friends, his co-workers at the college or the church or his wife could do to get him out of the funk. Catherine put on some funeral clothes. You know, I dazzled you with my white suit last Sunday. She dazzled him with black, a big black dress and a black bonnet and a black scarf. And she walked through the house that morning and he looked at her and said, did somebody die? Are you going to a funeral? Because he thought of all people, the pastor in town, the preacher, the professor, he should know, right? And he took the bait. And she said, yes. Obviously, God died because you've been behaving like that for two weeks. And the book said, Luther got out of his funk. (laughs) I asked you at the beginning, why did you come here? I prayed that you came as a beggar to get what you need, the comfort of the gospel that you're loved and saved, and the challenge that you have a purpose and meaning in life that can't be taken away. But now I'm going to ask you a similar question. Why are you going to go out there and be a shining light? Because God's not dead. Jesus is risen, right? Oh, that was wimpy. Jesus is risen. Let's go be happy. Let's go share it. Let's go be the light. Amen.